Well, we want to get back to our series on the family. We have given several messages. The first one was entitled, God's Divine Purpose for Marriage. And we saw that that purpose, generally speaking, was first to show what God is like and, and to provide fulfillment for husband and wife. And then the second message focused on the, um, um, the devilish distortion of God's purpose for marriage. And we talked about the fall and how the home, the family, was affected because of sin. Today, we want to go a little further and we want to talk about the Christian husband and headship. Tonight, we'll be talking about the Christian wife and submission. I call these themes, these subjects, the two great commandments of marriage. Remember, Jesus said the two great commandments? Generally speaking, what is the first one? Love the Lord thy God. What is the second one? Neighbor as thyself. Well, the two great commandments of marriage. The first one is husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And the second is like unto it. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. On these two commandments, all of a fulfilling marriage rests. If you obey them, you will experience heaven on earth. If you disobey them, you'll experience... I didn't say that. <laughs> but it underlines the importance of observing, of obeying the Word of God. The Word of God. That's why today and this evening, because we'll be looking at the wives and submission this evening, we want to focus on the Word of God. This is one of the messages we could get really excited about. I can get up here and shout and holler at you and everything, talking about head and submission, and get you all riled up. But when you go out of here, you won't remember a thing. You don't remember too much anyway, but at least, you know. But we are going to be looking at the Word of God because we want you to really see what the Scriptures have to say about these two vital subjects. The Christian husband and headship, dictatorship or directive. Who's the boss here is what we're talking about. I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to take time to read this passage because, as I said, we want you to see the Word of God. And please keep it open as we go through this passage today. We begin at verse 22. It is in the proper place to begin, but we will begin there. Verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. That's tonight. Now, actually, I should have begun this this morning if I followed Scripture, shouldn't I? But anyway, I've already broken that rule. Number 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, in order that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, 
and the two shall become one flesh. Notice that mention of that word again. In verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. These are powerful, powerful verses. And I think these are crucial to a successful and effective marriage relationship, a fulfilling marriage as far as, marriage as, far as Christians are concerned. In fact, it is true what I now consider to be a proper understanding of this passage that really changed my entire life and my approach to ministry. These verses, and especially my approach and my attitude towards my wife. There's no doubt here that this passage here transformed my life, my ministry, my relationship for the better. And I thank God for that. Now, the subjects notice very carefully here, if you look further up from verse 22 or 25, the subject of the headship of the husband and the submission of the wife are given in the context of the command to be filled with the Spirit. Notice verse 18 of that chapter. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And we cannot interpret this passage properly and as intended by the divine or the human author unless we interpret it in the context of verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Be directed by the Spirit. Be empowered by the Spirit. Be energized by the Spirit. The only way that these commands in the following verses could be applied to our daily life is through the empowerment of the Spirit of God. And so right away it tells us that one of the key things that must be in place if we want to have a fulfilling marriage is the right relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Is essential. Without that, we're just laboring, we're going back under the law. If we're trying to obey these commands without the Holy Spirit's empowerment, we're going back under the law, trying to do it our way in our strength. And that always leads to disaster, fights, divorce, separation, and so on. And so please remember that your relationship with God is more important even than your relationship with your husband or your wife. If we flip these things around, we could be in serious trouble. Anyone who is in right relationship with God will be in right relationship with a husband or a wife or the children. That's just the way it is. If you try to do it the other way around, we will be in for disaster. And so I say obedience in these areas is an indication that the husband or wife is, in fact, controlled by the Spirit of God and is enjoying an intimate relationship with the triune God. Now look at the passage carefully from verse 18. Four activities are given as indications that a believer is being filled with the Spirit. A believer in general. Then it's going to focus on the indications of a husband being filled with the Spirit. That's when they love their wives as Christ lived the church. And as a wife uh, is filled with the Spirit, that's when she is submissive to the Spirit. But there are the four activities mentioned in this passage that, speak, that describes a person who is filled with the Spirit. In verse 19, spiritual singing to one another. 
It says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and so on. And then in verse 19, be also singing to the Lord. So the idea of someone who is joyful in Christ. The singing to one another, the singing to the Lord. Joy, joy is a mark of being filled with the Spirit of God. Person who is in right relationship with God, a person who is enjoying intimacy in God is a joyful person. You heard the story? With a little girl who went to visit a farm. She said she lived in the city, never saw any animals at all. And so she saw all of these animals, you know, uh, the cow, the sheep, all these animals. And then she saw this other animal. And she asked the lady, aunt, who was showing her, says, I didn't know that you had Christian animals. She said, what do you mean Christian animals? Well, say, look at, what is that over there? She said, that's a donkey. Say, why do you call that a Christian animal? Because he has a long face. She identified anyone or anything with a long face with Christians. You come up here and stand up here sometimes, and you look at folk there. I better go on. Uh, I see. I better go on. Joy is a mark of being controlled and filled with the Spirit of God. Joy is a mark of a fulfilling Christian relationship with husband or wife. If there's fighting and bickering, then something is wrong, first of all, with your relationship to God, not with your spouse. Joy is a mark of a fulfilling Christian experience with husband and wife. And then a spirit of thankfulness in verse 20, giving thanks. And then verse 21, mutual submission, notice, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. These are the general marks, uh, all-embracing characteristics of a person who's been filled with the Spirit and enjoying intimate relationship with God. But then he gives us a description of a husband and a wife who's filled with the Spirit. A wife is submissive to her husband. A husband is loving his wife as Christ loved the church. Now, the two basic principles delineated here concerning submission. In other words, if you want to study the passage of submission we'll be doing tonight, but I want to put it in context here today. You see here, first of all, the call to submission in this passage is universal. As we just read in verse 21. This is an attitude that we should all have towards one another. Any relationship that we find ourselves in that has someone in authority over us, and we are under authority, this is the attitude we are to have. Both those who are in authority and those who are under authority is to have this attitude of submission. You say, a boss is supposed to be submission. In, uh, have a submissive attitude toward the employee. Yeah. It's taught in Ephesians 6 as well. This is the attitude. Now, the way it's applied is different, but that's the general attitude, one of submission, one of humility, as it were. You see, but it's a relationship that all of us who find ourselves in these relationships of authority and under authority is to demonstrate an attitude of submission. But secondly, 
the motivation here is godly fear. It says that the fear of Christ. Look at the passage. In 2 Corinthians 5.11, it tells us the same thing about living in the fear of Christ because of the beamer. But the attitude of fear of Christ. What does that mean? Well, the two aspects of this, and again, we're just giving an overline now. We deal with it more specifically tonight. There's a present attitude in which we are to live in fear of God. And this is not being frightened of God. It's being in reverence of Him. We are to reverence Him in our everyday life, and our everyday experience, through obedience to His word and imitation of His life. That's how we show our fear of God. Our reverence, our respect for him by doing what he tells us to do. Isn't that logical? If he is our God, if he is our Lord, he tells us to do something, don't we show respect to him by doing what he tells us to do? That's a present everything, every day way of application living out. Our fear, our reverence for God by doing what he tells us to do. And you know, really, we wouldn't need preachers. I see here's a way out of listening to long-winded preachers. We would need preachers if you simply started to do everything you know God tells you to do right now. Do you know that? The reason why you need is up here because you don't do what God tells you to do. That's it. We show reverence to Him. So what I'm saying, we're a bunch of irreverent people when it comes to obedience to the Word of God. Howard Hendricks used to say, boy, we better go on from here because there's too much conviction here, right? All right. Secondly, though, there's a future aspect of living in fear of Christ. And that is we live in anticipation of the beamer or the judgment seat of Christ. Look in your scriptures to 2 Corinthians for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We develop this more tonight, but I need to put it here for context. Verses 10 and 11, 2 Corinthians 5. This is what the apostle says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also you. In other words, he's saying that we are to live today, anticipating that moment we stand before Jesus Christ as our judge. Not judge for condemnation, but a judge as far as rewards are concerned. And so there's two aspects of obedience based on the fear of Christ. One, obeying him now because that's the right thing to do because he is our Lord. Secondly, remember that everything we do is going to be evaluated and we are going to have a reward based on what we've done. In other words, our reward is going to be based on our obedience to Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying here in this context of the marriage relationship, remember that. Obey him now. Because it's that obedience upon which you are going to be judged and evaluated in a coming day. But let's move on now for our, that's for the introduction, so that doesn't count as far as time is concerned. Let's look at the reality of the husband's headship. And the declaration of that headship. 
The scriptures are very clear on this. Now I know this is where I normally lose some people for membership in the church. The scriptures are clear. God made the man as the responsible leader in the home and in the church especially. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about that from a biblical point of view. This is true in this passage. The reality of the husband's headship is declared. Look at verse 23 of your passage. Back again to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. Now notice, there's no argument here at all. Nothing at all. There's just a clear statement. Now, that's another big thing today. In the day in which we live, this postmodern time, people don't like these propositions. These objective statements. No, no, no. The husband is the head of the wife. Well, Paul might have thought so. But I don't think so. And my truth is just as important as Paul's truth. My view is just as important as... No way. Mm -mm. That's not true when it comes to the word of... God says through the Apostle Paul, the husband is the head of the wife. Period. That's it. It's declared. Whether we like it or not. If you reject it, then you do not reverence God. Because how do we reverence him? By obeying and accepting what he says. And look at the text. Verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife. This is a divinely delegated position. Turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now it's amazing to me that we have to go back to scriptures to try to show believers that this is the biblical truth after it's been taught for so many thousands of years. But the day is the day in which this truth is completely rejected by most women and many men. They just don't care what the Bible says because we are living in a feminist age. We've traveled a long way. Baby, that means we've gone a long way from this truth of male leadership. You see, notice carefully, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 3. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. There it is, clear, clearly delegated, clearly spelled out. Now, God gives us two reasons in this passage for this being true. Look at verse 12. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man at his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Just the first portion, and we'll develop this one later on this evening as well. The man has priority of creation. He was created first. And God says that is one reason why he's given to Egypt. God, that isn't a good reason. Sorry about that. That's his reason. Then if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, you also have another priority. Not only is the man has priority in creation, there's another priority mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 2. This priority has to do with sin and the woman. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13. Notice what Paul says. 
It was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Now, this is given a context why a man has the authority to teach a woman and so on. We won't get in that aspect. There's more war, more fighting, so we won't get in that aspect tonight, today. But the reason is that she had priority in the fall. She sinned first, not Adam. Because of that, the priority of creation, the priority of the fall, God says, The husband is the head of the family. Clearly stated. I need not try to defend it. It's clearly stated in the word of God. So let's move on now to the standard for the husband's headship. Because it is clearly described or delineated in scripture. Go back again please to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 23 again. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. This is the standard for the husband's headship. This is what the husband's headship is in essence. And how it shows who God is. As Christ loved the church. This is how a husband is to show his headship over his wife. In other words, this headship is a divinely designated prototype. Prototype of what? Christ's relationship to the church. Actually, it's the other way around. Christ's relationship is the prototype of Christ's of the husband's relationship with his wife. Christ's relationship with his church is the prototype of the husband's relationship with his husband. He, now please get this very clearly, the husband is the head of his wife the same way Jesus is head of the church. How is that? There are two aspects here. First, There's chronological priority in the sense of source or origin. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. This has to do with the idea of Jesus Christ being the one who is the source of all of our directives. Jesus and Jesus alone. But there's another aspect here as well. Not only... There's some who've taken this idea of source of origin and saying that there's no idea of authority in it at all. It just means that the woman came from the man. That's how he's the head. The scriptures show us something different. Not only is there a chronological aspect, there is, mind you, but authority is also included in that. And that's where the second aspect comes in. This positional priority in the sense of rank or authority. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22. He put all things in subjection under him, under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. This has the idea of positional hierarchy, positional authority if you want. 
In other words, the head, when the man is seen as the head of the woman, or more specifically, when the husband is seen as the head of the wife, it's not just the idea that he's a source of the woman, and the sense that the woman came from him. No. The idea is that God has given him a position over her. A position of authority. It is a position that is to be voluntarily transformed in obedience to an imitation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is where the important concept comes in. So I want to be very careful here. Because what Paul is teaching here about the headship of the man is a new and revolutionary truth. It was never, never mentioned anywhere until this moment in Scripture. This is like a teaching about the headship of man in the midst of a whole congregation of radical feminists. That's Paul's teaching when he made it. This is a new truth here. The standard that he was given. What is the standard? Not only that the man is the head of the woman. That's not it. The standard is the new and revolutionary truth that was taught by the Apostle Paul. The husband is the head of his wife. How? As Christ is head of the church. Notice what it says very carefully now in verse 22. Husbands, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. In other words, this is a sacrificial love. This is a, sac this is a self-giving headship. This isn't a dictatorial idea at all. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's saying to the husbands who are the head. How do you show your headship over your wife? By being a servant. That's the radical truth. That was never taught before. Just think this truth being taught to Greek Christians who always has this sense of authority over a woman. Even the Jews. They come and say, no, no, no. That's not the way that a husband is the head over his wife. But rather... You are to be a servant. Just as Christ is head over the church. He became a servant. This is the concept of servant leadership in the context of marriage. You see, we like to apply that when it comes to a pastor or a church leader in a ministry. But Paul first applies the concept to husband and wife relationship. The servant headship concept has its roots and origin within the marriage relationship. We lead by serving men, not by ordering. That was a part of the curse. Remember, we looked at it. But he shall rule over you by force, by keeping his heel on your neck. That is the result of the fall. And any Christian husband who dominates his wife in that fashion has not yet experienced the redemption of Jesus Christ. Still living under the fall. Paul is giving us a radical truth here. 
The concept of servant leadership. Husbands lead by serving. In other words, we do, know, we do not use our divinely given position as a means of suppression or oppression. But rather as a means of serving the other person's needs and being concerned more for our wife than for our own personal needs. I got to stop there. Because this is the truth that revolutionized my life. When I stopped looking for my wife to be the fulfiller of my needs. But then I saw myself as being the fulfiller of her needs. That's what he's talking about here. Men, we should be living other than our relationship to Jesus Christ now for one purpose. And you know what that purpose is? To serve our wife. Now you've heard me say that before, haven't you? Or have you forgotten it? But it's here. That's what we are to be living for in our marriage relationship. You say, Basili, boy, you don't know my wife. I don't have to know your wife. I'm not looking at your wife now. I'm looking at the word of God. And we must reverence God. We must respect God. How? By obeying his word. You say, but I don't feel like it. Your feelings ain't got nothing to do with it. We are here for one purpose, and that is to glorify the triune God. Isn't that right? And if that means going against all your feelings, too bad. Then you put that in the concept of the husband-wife relationship. We are here to serve our wives, no matter how you feel. You glorify God by serving your wife. That's it. I could close and go home right now, but they pay me to preach longer. <laughs> this has to do with our attitude more than, with our more than our position or our rank. We should be willing to put aside any and everything that interferes with a legitimate need in our wife. In other words... If we say that we have a meeting call at the church, but my wife has a real important and vital need in her own life, that meeting comes secondary, becomes secondary. Clear as that. Say, Pastor Lee, I know we're supposed to be in this meeting tonight, but my wife really wants to get her hair done for the party tomorrow. What? Boy, what's more important to you, to come to this meeting or to go get your wife, go get her hair done, to get that? You know what's more important? To get that hair done. Sometimes. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Because that could be vital to her, for her feeling good. I was going to say self-esteem, but I don't want to bring that into it. Her feeling good. And we are here, husbands, to make our wives Feel good. Man, you, you, you understand this? That's where the idea here of headship comes in. Now, two factors are involved here. First of all, the headship of the husband is not absolute. It's limited. Limited to what? As Christ loved the church. We say, what does that mean? Well, you say to your wife, 
And I've heard people say this. I've heard Christian teachers say this, that my wife, because I'm the head, is supposed to obey me in everything I say to her, even if it involves sin. Nonsense. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Would Jesus Christ ever do anything for the church that is against the will of the triune God? Of course not. In other words, our rulership, let's take that word back, our headship over our wives is limited to the word of God. We cannot go against it, in other words. We cannot go contrary to it. We cannot say that my word as a husband has more force or power or priority than the word of God. Now you see, that's where some of the problems and conflicts come in, in marriage. Because sometimes those things conflict. And the wife knows to obey God is to perhaps get a slap or some abuse from her husband. What does she do? We're going to talk about that as well. A moment tonight as well. And there's some, that's because of sin, you see. That's still the impact of sin. But my point here now is that nowhere in Scripture is it said that a wife's submission to a husband is demonstrated by disobeying the word of God in order to please her husband. That's the point here. But secondly, the husband's headship relates only to his own wife. You can't go around trying to boss somebody else's wife around. You stay right there. Not even boss around. Let me take that back. Right, right Ambrose? I shouldn't say boss around because that's not in the picture at all. But trying to tell another woman what to do other than your wife. Especially somebody else's wife. Right, let me give you an illustration that perhaps illustrates it or confuses it. Um, the other day I was at a church. Well, not the other day. Some days ago. Some weeks ago. And the young lady came and said, Hey, Pastor Lee. I said, Why are you calling me your pastor? She said, What do you mean? I said, Why are you calling me your pastor? She said, You Pastor Lee? I said, Yeah, but I'm not your pastor. She said, You Pastor Lee? I said, Yeah. But I am the pastor of Calvary, people at Calvary Bible Church. And the Bible says that we are to take heed for those over whom God has placed us. And He hasn't placed me as pastor over the Haitian Baptist Church or Covenant Baptist Church, or Central Hall. He isn't my pastor. A teacher? That's a different, that's a gift. But as far as the position, the only place I'm pastor is here. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I, told, I, <laughs> I explained that to a pastor friend. He said, boy, you crazy. <laughs> he said, I pastor everywhere I go. <laughs> but that's not true. You see, there's some things here that the members of Calvary Bible Church are more obliged to do than those who belong to another assembly. Right or wrong? Exactly. That's the same thing with a husband and wife. None of you men come over to my house and try to boss my wife around. Because not only is she going to punch you, I can punch you too. Another point here. This headship exercises, this, the exercise of this uh, headship has to do with humility rather than power. As someone has said, humility or meekness is power under control. And I don't think that there's any other phrase that better describes a man's relationship to his wife. He has the power 
of headship. But he controls it to be the servant. The same way Jesus Christ was. He humbled himself. Isn't that right? Because of the church, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He did that for the church. And Jesus Christ is our model. All right. But thirdly, the standard for the husband's headship is clearly elucidated in verses 25 to 33. Let me go through these quickly here. The divine lo- the mandate in verse 25 is to love your wives. That's the mandate. Love your wives. Now remember, the kind of love that he's talking about here is a love that does what is best for the individual even if you get nothing back in return. Even if you get hate, hatred back for your love, you're still supposed to go on loving. Even though you get a slap in the face for demonstrating your love, you still go on loving. Even though that person says, I don't want anything from you, I don't, you still go on loving. That's love. Doing the best for someone else, even though you don't get anything, even. In fact, even if you persecuted for it. You say, how can you say that? Because Jesus Christ is our model. He loved even when he was rejected. Isn't that right? He loved even when he was nailed to the cross. Isn't that right? That's the standard for a husband. To love in spite of the returns. We are to be loving our wives in such a fashion that whatever it takes, even if it destroys our own rights, we ought to love our wives. Even if it hurts me, we ought to love our wives. You say, boy, that's a a hard saying. That's the saying of Jesus Christ. And he's our model. Here's a divine model. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? To the very end. By giving himself absolutely, completely, totally for her welfare. This is total commitment. This is a decision a husband should make before he gets married. That's why I say it's a past experience. I tell the couple that, couples that we counsel. I says, when you get it in and say, I do, you better have already did it. He said, what you mean? I said, because when you get up there and you say, I do before public, you should have already told that woman that you've given your life for her. That you're willing to lay your life down for her. You're willing to give up everything in your life for her. You better be sure you did it before you do it. Who loved us and gave himself up for us. Sacrificial love. Love no, not caring for what happens to the person who's doing the loving. Now there's an immediate goal is stipulated here in this verse 26. Look at verse 26. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is the goal. This is the end in view for our loving our wives sacrificially. To prepare our wives to be a usable instrument in the hand of God. Oh no man, that ain't my job. That's Pastor Lee's job. Mm -mm. That's the Sunday school teacher's job. Mm -mm. Your job, my job, and this is the transforming thing in my life. Is to prepare our wives to be the woman of God. God wants her to be. 
But if you leave that to anyone else, you are not a leader of your home. You know what to do with that one, eh? That's the immediate goal. It's clearly stated. Notice, that's what Jesus is doing. So that he might sanctify us, set her apart. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Having to do with the spiritual preparation. Husbands are responsible for the spiritual maturity of their wives. That's why this is an ongoing methodology here. A discipleship. How do you do that? To modeling Christ. To making opportunities available for her to be exposed to the word. For you teaching her the word. For you making it possible for her to attend and to do those things that are good for her maturing the faith. Right? So you can't go with them women tonight, man. No, I want to watch the game tonight. Mm-mm. If she's going to fellowship with women who are maturing and growing and serving Christ, that's where she should be. And you should care for the children. We are responsible because Jesus Christ is our model. That's an ongoing methodology. Now look at verse 27. This is the ultimate purpose described. In order that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Listen, I am reading the word of God. Jesus Christ is our model, our example. This is what he is doing to the church. And he's saying this is what we are supposed to be doing for our wives. To make her beautiful in the sight of God. To make her poor in the sight of God. To present her. Notice what it says. To present to himself the church in all her glory. Having no spot. That's our responsibility, men. That's our responsibility. And when we stand before the beamer, and our wives are going to be there, next to us. And Jesus is going to take this same passage of Scripture and say, now, let me see how you prepared your wife to stand before the beamer of Christ. Verse 28 gives us a divine template. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. Why? Notice, he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh. You see, because as we saw, the divine purpose of marriage is us to become what? One flesh. And whenever you treat your, however you treat your wife is how you treat yourself. Because she is you. She is you. She is a part of you. She is your flesh. The same way we are a part of the body of Christ. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh. But nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also loves the church and cherishes it. You see, that's the problem, man. We do not really realize who our wives are. Let me take that back. I only got one wife. Who your wife is. We look at somebody separate. Somebody there I could handle anyway. Uh, uh, uh. That's you. That's me. The husband-wife love is natural or automatic. As we love ourselves. It is complete. No one ever hates his own flesh. But he nourishes and cherishes us just as Christ loved the church. The nourishing has to do with the physical needs. The meeting the physical needs of our wives. 
The cherishing has to do with meeting the emotional or loving needs of our wives. In other words, we are to meet the complete needs of our wives. We just talked about the spiritual needs, the emotional needs, the physical needs. We are responsible. We have husbands today who enjoy sitting on the wall because their, their wives could earn the money. That's not headship. That's abandoning of our headship. We are responsible. Oh, I know the things that come into play. This is another time that people leave the church. When I talk about, and we'll talk about this night, the need for a wife, especially when children come around, to focus on the home rather than a profession. Oh, mom, you can't make it out loud. How I got all my two cars and five TVs and a boat? I can take my children and put them out there in the daycare center. I can hire someone to be with them 24 hours. So I wouldn't be tied down with taking care for these precious children that God has given me as a gift. Now you realize the things I've just seen paradoxical. They would say it is a precious gift, but they will not spend no time to take care of it. The divine pattern, pattern even as Christ nourishes the church. Notice now he gives us the divine principle here. For this happened, he says in verse 31, and I'll hurry now. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What is the reason? Verse 30, because we are members of his body, we are one. The man, the husband and wife are one the same way that the members of the body of Christ and Christ are one. And a husband and wife are joined together to make that oneness come true again. Leave. Parental priority must be broken before the husband and wife relationship can be permanently established. We're going to be talking about that when we talk to young people about preparing for marriage. We want to let you know, you can't carry your umbilical cord with you when you get married. You got to cut it. Cleave. This is a lifelong relationship. It's a sticking together. Listen, men. I'm talking to the man now. When you get married, you stuck for life. You're stuck for life. You cleave to your wife. And you become one flesh. It's an ongoing thing, but I believe it's an immediate one as well. There's a closer and more intimate relationship here even than a parent-child relationship. This is a relationship that has been based by a mandate by God himself, not just blood. How do you know you're justified before God as a believer? Because God says it. That's the only way you know it. It's a divine mandate. How do you know you're one flesh? It's your husband, your wife. Because God says it. Some people always ask me, when does it take place? And God says it. We talk about that when we talk a little bit more about the nature and essence of marriage. Now look at, this is, look at verse 32. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. That's a great mystery. This relationship that Christ has with his people it's an unending relationship. Nothing can break it at all. That's why we teach here at Calvary Bible Church. If you are a genuine child of God, you belong to Jesus Christ. Nothing can break that. Once you are a child of God, you are always a child of God. Once you are a part of the body of Christ, you are always a part of the body of Christ. If you come to the front door, you know, some try to sneak in the back door. This is a unique relationship. This is a wonderful relationship. 
This is a special relationship. Apart from our relationship with Jesus Christ, man, there is no other relationship under the face, under this earth. Not under the earth, under this heaven. Than a marriage relationship. Nothing. The only way it goes wrong when we don't reverence God by obeying what he says. It's the only way.